Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen at snc.tv and local now channel 525 and good morning i'm gary randall thank you so much for joining me today it's friday june the 17th 2022 in the year of our lord on june 17th 2015 nine people were shot to death in a historic african-american church in charleston south carolina you probably remember that dylan roof came in appeared to be led them to believe that he wanted to be come involved in their Bible study. They welcomed him with open arms. He then shot them. He was convicted of federal hate crime, sentenced to death, but he later pleaded guilty to state murder charges. He was sentenced to life in prison without parole. Today on June 17, 2015, at a Bible study. Today in 1775, Revolutionary War Battle of Bunker Hill resulted in a costly victory for the British, but they suffered heavy losses. Today in 1885, a French ship sailed into the harbor, New York Harbor. On board was the Statue of Liberty. Yeah, it arrived in New York Harbor today in 1885, a gift from the French. Today in 1963, the U.S. Supreme Court in Abington, Pennsylvania, School District versus Schmeck, <laughs> They struck down 8 to 1 rules requiring the recitation of the Lord's Prayer or reading of biblical verses in public schools. If you sometimes wonder, as I do, and I know we all do, and we probably should, we wonder, how did we get to the place we are in America today? The answer is easy. The big boys, the intellectuals, the far left, the so-called progressives, They're writing reams and reams and reams of words trying to get to the bottom of, to the root causes of what's happening in our culture today. I'm a simple man, but the answer is simple. We have removed God from the culture every opportunity we've had. This was one of those opportunities. No Lord's Prayer. No Bible verses, we can't have that. And yet a nation that was founded founded upon godly Judeo-Christian principles and values cannot even allow the Lord's Prayer or biblical verses in public schools. That was today in 1963. It's gotten worse, as we all know. Today, in 1967, China successfully tested their first thermal nuclear hydrogen bomb. Today, in 2008, hundreds of same-sex couples got married across California for the first full day that gay so-called marriage became legal by order of the state's highest court. Today, in 2009, President Barack Obama extended benefits to same-sex partners of federal employees. Today in 2013, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled 7-2 that states can't demand proof of citizenship from people 
registering to vote in federal elections unless the inquiry gets federal or court approval to ask someone if they're a citizen. One year ago today, President Joe Biden signed legislation establishing a new federal holiday com- commemorating the end of slavery. It's called Juneteenth or June 19th. Juneteenth would be the 12th federal holiday. As you know, I hope you know, Sunday is Father's Day. That's an important day, but perhaps not as important as it once was. It should be. The Bible talks a lot about generational faith, but a father's faith doesn't automatically become his child's faith. Many of us have experienced that. I have not, and I thank God for that. But as <clears throat> as a pastor, I've talked with, counseled, and been a part of, in that way, many families who truly love the Lord. The father even served the Lord and led the family, and the child went astray, sometimes far far astray from the faith. So a father's faith doesn't automatically become his child's faith. The child must make their decision themselves to serve the Lord and to accept Jesus Christ into their life. Dan Darling is a professor at Southwest Seminary. He wrote an article, published it this morning. It was in several different news sources. I wanted to share just a bit of his experience. It's different than my own, but I think it touches most of our lives in one way or another. Darling writes, Dr. Darling, he writes, it was 1971 and a 20-year-old young man just starting his apprenticeship as a plumber, living with his sister, escaping a broken and chaotic home life, walked forward at a Billy Graham crusade at McCormick Palace in uh, Chicago. He said, that young man was my father. In that moment, he found Jesus and a family that had had very little interaction with Christianity was reborn. In my office, he says, I have a black and white photo of that night in Chicago. I often look at the crowd and imagine my father in there listening to the words of the evangelist. It's a simple gospel message that calls sinners to repentance. It calls lost men home. While I believe the Spirit sovereignly woos each prodigal's heart, I owe much to the decision Billy Graham made to host a crusade in that town on that night. I owe much to his choice to center his message delivered to a world recently robbed, troubled by war and social unrest on the simple gospel message that Jesus Christ has come into the world to save and to seek the lost. My father's faith became my faith, and I hope the faith of my children. Dad was a silent witness. He got up every morning before the sun to read the Bible, took us to church three times a week. He sheepishly, but effectively, sought gospel conversations on the job site. He served our family faithfully. That may be something like your experience. It may be not at all like your experience. But generational faith is an important aspect of the Bible, but it is not to be confused with the idea that if we raise our kids in a godly home, they will automatically become Christians. I think we all know that's not true, but sometimes there is that presumption. There ought not to be that presumption. Yet we ought to raise our children in a godly, 
Bible-reading, God-fearing environment in our home, because that's where real life happens. The Bible talks actually a lot about generational faith, and I'm going to be talking more about that today in the context of what I want to leave with you today. But from the admonitions of Moses and Deuteronomy, and we'll be reading a bit of that today, to the words of the psalmist, to the warnings of the prophets, to the humble faith passed down from Eunice and Lois to Timothy. This is not an automatic transition. Dan Darling says in his article, but this is not an automatic transition as those of us privileged to be fathers understand. It's more like a stumbling attempt to pass a slippery baton, hoping the Spirit of God uses our best efforts to ignite a fresh wind in the souls of our children. Fathers play an important role in the spiritual formation, yet we may be in a cultural moment when fathers are least present in the home and much less intentional about creating environments for faith to flourish. Well, statistics, unfortunately, bear that out. He's right. Too many homes are fatherless. Oh, the father lives, but he's somewhere else doing something else. That's part of what's wrong in our culture today as well. Our culture has slipped to the depths of depravity since we've taken Jesus, God, and the Bible out of the classroom. That it is horrifying if you look at it simply from a secular, just a humanistic point of view. The only hope we can see in our culture is that God has the power to redeem, to restore, and to rebirth individuals. And in doing so, God can redeem and restore a culture. I believe that with all of my heart. But it begins in the individual life. And as our culture spins into this crazy, confused, ungodly, damnable kind of a philosophy that we found ourselves in today, now more than ever, families need fathers and our culture needs God. And they will see God only through the Christian, the lights of the gospel of Jesus Christ shining through our lives not only in our words, but in our deeds, like voting, like voting for people who hold those views and voting against people who do not. That's the way America is supposed to work. The CDC issued a safer sex and monkeypox directive this morning. It's embarrassing. It's shameful. The way they've chosen to do it, but that is the secular way. And I'm going to share it with you. It's going to be a little bit confrontive. But keep in mind that your child or grandchild in a public school is getting this kind of indoctrination, this kind of, quote, information. This is CDC this morning. Monkeypox is becoming a concern around the world and in America. They're talking about it. They were talking about it on the news last night, national news. What they're not saying is that this this particular monkeypox has been around for a long time, but this particular um, 
infection, this this kind of a rising of monkeypox, started in a homosexual nightclub. And that's what perpetuated it into the culture. Nobody's saying that out there, but it's true. I mean, people like me are talking about it, but the media's not. Certainly the education is not. Certainly CDC is not. Here's what CDC put out this morning. They, they said six ways to avoid monkeypox by safer sex. Number one, try virtual sex. Number two, masturbate six feet apart. Number three, wash afterwards. Number four, avoid kissing. Number five, wear clothes. Number six, cover your rash. They delivered this intimate guidance for those who need it. It's public. It's out there. It'll be discussed in the classroom before the sound of my voice trails off. You can bet it will be. And if someone objects to it, they say, well, you, you're, those Christians won't accept science. The New York Times is admitting that plunging enrollment in public school system is seismic. According to experts, it will not be easily reversed. I hope and pray they're right. I know that's alarming to say, but I mean that. The loss of students is so significant nationwide that cities that have lost a lot of students, including Denver, Albuquerque, Oakland, there are several others, are now considering combining classrooms, laying off teachers, shutting down entire schools because enrollment equals income for the public schools. This is the New York Times. They want all the schools to be open because this is the front line of the, the, the bastion of this attack on the American culture. It's public education. There is no better place for these people to do their work in the minds of young children as young as four and five years old in kindergarten and preschool and so on. But the elite, including our president, our vice president, Speaker of the House, other leaders, including governors, they don't send their kids to public schools. Oh, no. But they insist that you have the right to do so, if you please, if somebody confronts them. They have said again and again and again, including President Biden, people have said, why won't you give us a choice where we send our kids for their education? And he has said again and again and again. And so has Nancy Pelosi. They've said, you have that right, just like I do. In other words, if you have the money, you can do it. We have the money. I don't know how he's become so, yes, I do. But isn't it amazing how rich Joe Biden has become, as a public servant, his entire life, as an elected official. How do you become worth millions and millions and millions of dollars on 150000 or 200000 whatever the salary is, I mean, in the Senate? How does that work? You know how it works, and so do I. Hypocrisy is laced through our culture today. And nowhere is it more evident than in the failing government-run school system. Yeah, the New York Times is sounding the alarm in this article, but not necessarily to do something different or to disassociate and find another path for your child to be educated. 
No, they're sounding the alarm because they're hoping public education can pull out of their free fall. In New York City, the Times says, in New York City, the nation's largest school district has lost some 50,000 students over the past two years. In Michigan, enrollment remains more than 50,000 below pre-pandemic levels from big cities to rural upper uh, peninsula. In the suburbs, I'm quoting from the New York Times, in the suburbs of Orange County, California, where families have moved for generations to be part of the public school system, enrollment slid for the second consecutive year statewide. More than a quarter million public school students have dropped out of California's rules since 2019. Since school funding is tied to enrollment, this is the New York Times, cities that have lost many students, including as I said earlier, Denver, Albuquerque, Oakland, and so on, are now considering combining classrooms, laying off teachers, shutting down entire schools. End of quote. They also admit that state enrollment figures show no sign of a rebound to the previous national levels anytime soon. The Times, of course, dives deeply into the quote-unquote root cause the failing public school system, putting forward two reasons why they think the failure of public education is happening before our eyes. One, they say, is related to the fact that the rates of birth and immigration have fallen. That is true, and not about the immigration, the illegal immigration. They're counting legal immigration. The illegal is through the roof. But <clears throat> rates of birth have fallen, and that is a sign of a decaying culture throughout history. But that is true. The other, they say, number two, they say, is the coronavirus that supercharged the drop in enrollment. The Times says the virus caused parents to get fed up with mask mandates and remote instruction, so they started homeschooling. Some kids, they say, have dropped out due to homelessness. There's a thread of truth in that. People did take their children out of school during the kind of the peak of, of the of the coronavirus thing and schools were shut down and all of that, we're going to start open class, we're not going to open class, all of that. It created confusion and that did. But they are they are purposefully avoiding the real truth of why parents are doing what they're doing. Yes, coronavirus was a part of that. No question about it. And that may be true to a degree, but it's a small degree. There are other much more significant issues. The Times has to know this. But they won't touch on the fact that the materials that the schools are teaching kids, the indoctrination on social issues the schools have championed, the way the schools have worked to exclude the parents from the child's education. This is a flaming bonfire in the darkness of what's going on. They know that, but they won't say it out loud. The Times concedes, quote, now educators and school officials are confronting a potentially harsh future of lasting setbacks in learning, hardened inequities in education, and smaller budgets accompanying smaller student populations. No question, public schools are feeling the money crunch. They've earned it, in my view. They've imported a curriculum completely, completely created for indoctrination purposes by some of the most radical far-left organizations in the world. Number one, climate change. They're teaching six-year-old, seven-year-old kids that the earth is going to burn up, basically, if we don't, everybody drive an electric car, live in a little tiny flat somewhere like they do in Asia or whatever. That's what they're, these kids believe it and they're afraid. 
these kids are acting out of fear and they have them out on the streets for climate change and they honor the ones that have the biggest climate change banner and all this kind of thing. It's crazy. Al Gore was telling kids 25 years ago that we're going to burn up, we're going to look like a turkey roasted for Thanksgiving if we don't change the climate. He said it's going to happen in at least 10, 12 years. It's on, it's on the record. That was 25 years ago. These people are crazy. And they're not motivated to save the world. They're motivated to grasp more power and to indoctrinate children and build a political base that will support their selfishness and their greed. Yeah, they're feeling the money crunch now. Critical race theory, all of a sudden, it comes of age in public education. In the last couple of years, parents begin to find out about it and say, what? You know what it's about. America wasn't founded on the quest for religious freedom and personal freedoms. Oh, no. No, it was founded in 1619 so that we could so that we could have a have a slave-based nation. That's what Project 1619 is all about. And if you think for one moment that that is not in some form in your public school, you need to look, think again and look more closely. The LGBTQIA+, ABCDEFG, whatever, all of this is perverted materials. You know the list. They've replaced classical education. That's why public education is in free fall. Our kids are graduating middle school, high school, college, having become highly skilled activists, but wanting in skills that provide them a career, something that can actually pay their bills, something that can help them kind of form a family and marry someone of the opposite sex and have children. And this is becoming foreign to these kids because all they know how to do is to be an activist, to march for this and shout for that and demand this. Climate change, sex, whatever, it doesn't matter. It's horrifying to millions of parents on both sides of the political spectrum. All of a sudden, there's been an awakening, and parents are saying, wait a minute, and they're following this to its source, and the source is public education. Public school is spending varies greatly in different states, and it depends on several factors, but one factor is the money that the schools are allocated directly correlates with how much the schools spend on each student per year. In other words, if a school spends X amount of money, you know that they're getting about that amount of money because that's their source from taxes, federal, state, and local. I wrote an article on this today, and I put some links beyond the facts that I'm sharing with you here on the radio, but the New York Times noted that kids equal dollars. I mean... They, they understand that. They said that. Example, Washington State spends about $12,995 per student per year. That's the state. The city of Seattle Public Schools spends $16,543 per student per year. Oregon spends 11920 about that, per student per year. New York, that's the most expensive school system in the country, public, they spend $22,040.
But this would be about, not exactly, but about the amount each school receives from local, state, federal government each year per student. So each student that leaves public education equals about that amount in lost revenue. It's not exact, but it's very close. Last year, public education spent $720.9 billion to indoctrinate. Altogether, American public schools have lost at least, and this is very conservative, but at least 1.2 million students since 2020. Families are continuing to pull their kids. You can do the math and see how many dollars of social nonsense that schools have embraced, and it's costing them. More importantly, it's costing the taxpayers. People are sick of it, but the government has us in a box. And that's where the hypocrisy is about this whole thing. You and I, as average folks out here, are in a box. Because we're forced to pay taxes to support this machine of indoctrination. And if you want to take your kid to a private school, sure, you're welcome to. Just go ahead. Oh, you're going to keep supporting the other thing that you're taking the kid from, our public education system, government-run. But you can put your kid in any private school you want to. These people are rich for through whatever means. Pelosi, I guess her husband makes a lot of money and all that. I don't know. But Biden, you know, thank you, Hunter. I mean, but people that have a lot of money can make these choices. But the average people across America can't. Yet they're sick and tired and they're fed up with what they see going on. Many private schools, they say, stay open while public schools across the country close during this pandemic. But the essence of the article rightly focuses on the hypocrisy of the elite, elite regarding education. In an article that I mentioned a moment ago from Fox News, dozens of elected Democrats at the state and national level who have publicly criticized or actively opposed private school, private school choice measures have personally benefited from private schooling. It's amazing. President Biden attended Archmere Academy, a posh Roman Catholic prep school in Claymont, Delaware. He sent both of his sons, Bo and Hunter, there to attend the same private school. They currently charge $30,900 per year in tuition. Vice President Kamala Harris has two stepchildren with husband Doug Emhoff, and both kids attend Wildwood School in Los Angeles. That's a private school that currently costs $44,975 a year. In fact, the National Education Association, NEA, teachers, they hailed Harris in 2020 after she was announced as Biden's running mate. They said, wow, this is the dream team for public school education. She invest- This is what the NEA said. She investigates for-profit charters and votes against vouchers. <laughs> they were gushing in this news release. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, she attended private school, her family center, and um, that school <laughs> that school now costs $64,900 a year. I mean, it goes on and on and on. I have a whole list of them. I put them in an article today. My point is simply this, that there is hypocrisy at the very core of, of public education on every front, from what they teach to the fact of school choice that parents are locked in a box. We pay thousands of dollars in taxes to support something we do not believe in, in many cases. 
As we look at Father's Day and celebrate Father's Day, remember that fathers lead families and God leads fathers. I'll see you on Monday.